it's been a wild week and weekend for us. Um, didn't get much sleep last night. I was just had a rough night. Let's just say that, uh, what's the name of the place we went? Half Shell. Shrimp is better the first time. We'll go with that. So it's just a crazy, crazy night. But before that, I think I need to make some lifestyle changes. <laughs> we, we just, we just, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I just think, I guess I think I can, I'm as younger than I am. Maybe that's it. We just, I had to work. I had to work in uh, Baton Rouge in a plant, and it was like a bazillion degrees in this plant. They gave us these squinchers popsicles, which were really good. I ate a lot of them. They're supposed to give you more electrolytes. But, uh, but man, it was really hot, and then from there we went to Lake Charles, and I met with Tracy and uh, my nephew. He was living in an apartment in Lake Charles. He's going to move here temporarily because Lake Charles is in bad shape. I don't know if you all have seen, but it's real bad. We went over there, and thank, by the way, thank you guys for all the supplies. Um, we were able to, to drop those off and bless a lot of people with those supplies that you guys gave. Um, it was really cool to do that. Um, I'll tell you a quick story before we get started about our trip. Um, we, we got there, I guess, around 9, 10. Traffic wasn't too bad on the way there. Um, the closer you get to Lake Charles, the worse it looked. I mean, it's, it's absolute destruction going down. We were just there not that long ago. My grandfather passed away. Excuse me. Um, and uh, it's crazy. It doesn't even look like the same place. I mean, the trees are all down. It's just power lines are everywhere. We almost couldn't get to my grandpa's house because the power lines were all over the road. Which there's no power in them, but, I mean, you just can't cross because there's lines down and stuff in the way. Um, we finally made it over there, um, and my nephew went uh, to meet his dad and pack up the U-Haul so he could move over here. And me and Tracy and uh, my mom and my younger nephew we're going to patch the house up. So I bring all these tools and drills and screws and washers and all this stuff to patch it up. And I asked my mom several times if she had gotten tarp. She's like, yes, I got plenty of tarp, got plenty of tarp. So we get there, and we get the tarp, and she's got like two 8 by 10 tarps. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I knew I should have got some tarps. Um, so I'm like, we're in Lake Charles. There's not going to be any tarps here. Um, we did pass by a church that was giving away supplies. So we're like, we'll just run two blocks down and just see if they have any tarps by chance. We drove over there. It's like two blocks away. It's actually the church that my grandmother uh, used to clean. She never got her license. She would walk all the way down there and clean and come back. That was her, her job. And uh, so we drove down there and uh, pulled in, got to the first group of people. Said, hey, you guys got any tarps? They're like, no, we had some Saturday, but they went quick. Oh. And then, but then we're in the line. We can't really leave then. So we get up, and they're like, do you want supplies? And my youngest nephew is staying there basically living out of my sister's car right now because um, there's no power in the house and everything like that. So we got like MREs and more water and stuff, which we brought them some too, or him some too. So we got all that stuff. Well, as soon as we left, <laughs> Tracy and my mom had to use the bathroom. I was like, oh, I guess, because I was going to go try to track down some tarp or drive to another town. So we drive back to my grandpa's house to use the bathroom, which was one of those things, you know, I tell you guys this all the time, the older I get, the less I think there's coincidences, the more I see God working through every little detail even small bladders. <laughs> so, uh, so we get back, and they go in the house, and, and I'm actually on the phone or something, and these three guys start walking up in the yard. They had pulled a truck behind me, and I, I jump out like, hey, what are y'all doing? You know, because there's been some looting and some stuff, and he's not in the best neighborhood. So I jumped out. I was like, hey, what's up? What are you guys doing? And uh, they're like, hey, we're just coming around helping people fix their roofs so, you know, we can, we can work with your insurance company and all this stuff. It's like, man, my grandpa paid $8,000 for this house. He's never had insurance on it. I said, I appreciate it. You know, they're just going around making extra money or making money. And I said, really appreciate it, but there's, you know. And he said, well, 
how about this? How about we give you this whole roll of like paper, like better than tarp, like the rubber underlayment you put under shingles? And I was like, uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> That's exactly what we need. <clears throat> and so uh, it was just it's one of those cool things that God did. And I don't know if you met my mom, but she's a Cajun. She's a little extra. And so she, she's, she's walking from the back of the house, and she sees what's going on. And she starts going, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you, Jesus. I was like, calm down. And the roofer's like, and the roofer's like my name's Jesus. No, he didn't say that. No. Anyway, so... Uh, so she was just real excited about it. We were excited about it. We got up on the roof. Oh, man, I, if Robert was here, I would hug his neck because I don't know how he does it. It was so hot. Oh, my gosh, it was so hot. And we were, I mean, we weren't up there very long. Um, we kept having to get down because we were getting overheated and getting the truck a little bit and getting the air conditioned. But we got it all, got the holes all patched up. He had two big holes in his roof, and the siding's all blown off, and both of his shed's roofs are blown off. I mean, it's bad. Um, so we got all that squared away. And then when we went to leave, it was about 3, 34 o'clock, and my nephew, my older nephew calls me and says, hey, this is a little more than we thought. Can you come help us move? <laughs> and so I was like, sure. You know, we're soaking wet. So we drive over there, and we get there, and, and we look at the U-Haul, and it's empty. And I'm like, oh, what have you guys been doing? Um, but they've been packing up a lot of his stuff in there. So I said, man, I got an hour. And so we carried all the heavy stuff back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we got on the road. And, and headed back, and traffic was real bad on the way back. So, you know, a five-hour trip turned into like an eight-hour trip, just stopping, going. Um, so it was it was quite an adventure. We had a we had a fun week. <laughs> so, uh, but I think getting back and trying to like get a few things few few things done around the house, and I don't know if I've just overdone it, um, but I just I got real sick last night, and uh, so yeah, I just need to make some lifestyle changes. But. That'll happen eventually, probably anytime soon, because some of the things that we're doing, we accept an offer on our house. Woo! Never been so happy to be homeless. Not quite yet, but we're gonna we're going to be pretty soon. Um, we've got a few different plans. Tracy's kind of freaking out. I'm not, because that's just kind of part of. It's just one of those things. But uh, Amen. <laughs> she's like, "What are we gonna do? Where are we gonna go?" I don't know. We'll go somewhere. We'll figure it out. That's my go-to. We'll figure it out. So we do have some plans. We're looking at some, at some kind of campers to temporarily stay until we find some land. We really want to build and never have to move again, and we want to downsize and, and build a lot smaller. I told her I wanted a rectangle. I want a monopoly house. I want the simplest, <laughs> it's the easiest to work on house in the universe. You know, it's funny how things change when you get older, right? Like I can remember a day when I'd be so proud to live in a big fancy house, and I'm like, I can't wait to sell this big fancy house and get to a smaller house. Um, so. Uh, thank you guys for praying for us and being with us through all that. And three years ago, Labor Day, you, most of you guys were helping us move in. Y'all remember that? Moving in and getting all that stuff done. It was three years ago. It popped up on my memories the other day. It was Labor Day weekend. You guys came, and I had just gotten an epidural because my back was broken. Yeah. <laughs> I broke my back. Do what? Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was driving me nuts. I kept wanting to help. Um, it was not an excuse to help. Carolyn. <laughs> but thank you guys for everything. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting interesting journey. So yeah, yeah, maybe getting some calls from me for when we go to move. We're probably gonna sell a bunch of stuff because I'd rather sell it than have to move it and store it. So <laughs> no. 
<laughs> Look, I, we can make it fun. I, may, I try to make everything fun. There may, we'll have to move a few things, <laughs> like everything, but it'll be fun. Yeah, mostly fun, but slightly terrifying. It will be. It will be. That's the best, that's the best part. That's the best part of life, right? Mostly fun, slightly terrifying. So um, I really wasn't going to talk as much about change as I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me during worship, but um, I still want to talk, I still think I'm going to come back to this, but I just want to, I, I don't, I haven't quite let go of that. What I feel like the Holy Spirit was, was showing me in worship is, um, I think that one of the things that I see Jesus never give up on is people. And, uh, sorry, I get a little emotional sometimes. And uh, sometimes that's hard. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes that's hard because people can be very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's tough because, you know, it is, it's easy to uh, just altogether bail um, or easier just to altogether give up. Um, not to say that there can't be some instances where we create some distance or we draw some boundaries for our own well-being and our health. That's one thing. Um, but to just write people off is another thing. And that's tough. I mean, it, it really is. And I just, I really feel like the Lord is saying and encouraging me, hopefully you guys too, through me, um, to not give up. Not give up on yourself, not give up on, on others. Um, as Christians, we really don't have that luxury, to be honest with you. Uh, if we if we do, and I do claim to be a Christian, it's it's one of those things that's not a necessarily learned behavior, but an understanding of who we are. It's a it's a deeper it's a deeper reality that who the the one that is in us is greater than what's going on around us. It's knowing that there's something much deeper and much more profound than what you see on the surface, right? Um, what you see on the surface is a result of something much deeper in people. So when people come out and lash out and are angry or are frustrated, especially if you're if you are unlucky enough to be on social media, <laughs> you'll see a lot of people really lash out. Um, and if you can if you can take the time to see through that and see where that comes from, it usually comes from a place of deep hurt from somewhere. Now, if you don't have a relationship with, with that person or with, with whoever it is, I'll, I'll tell you, you really don't have that right to, to really come against that necessarily because it won't, will, will not be well-received, first off, and uh, it will be perpetually frustrating on both ends. And I say that because if you do have a relationship or if you take the time to, you will see exactly what Jesus saw when he sat down and ate with people from Sinners to the self-righteous. He, he saw people. He saw people that were hurt. He saw people that needed help. And I really, this trip to Lake Charles, I mean, to see the destruction and the, the people, I mean, just trying to rebuild, you know, I mean, it's overwhelming to look around that city. It looks like a bomb hit it. Um, to see them just starting over from scratch. I mean, house after house after house after house with the roof ripped off of it. And, uh, you know, a lot of the neighborhood that my grandfather lives in is very low income. So 
I mean, I assume they don't have a whole lot of insurance, or if it is, it's going to take a while to get all that stuff done. Um, but to see just how good people are in the midst of all that, too. I think that we get, I get a bad taste in my mouth if I, if I just look at my phone and don't actually get out and see people. Um, but 99% of the people I come into contact with are super great and super awesome. It's not what I see a lot of the media pushing as far as the, the, the division. I think that's a very small part. It's just amplified up to the top so that everyone can see it. Um, I don't see that in real life. I don't see, I don't see near the, the racial tension that I see on social media. I don't see near the, the divisiveness. Um, even politically, I don't see it as much in person that I do when people are hiding behind a keyboard. Um, and I believe that is because outside of relationship, you're ju you're just going to be doing you're just going to be spinning your wheels and doing this the whole time. I mean, it's just there's no way around it. If you genuinely don't want to see um, a, a positive change or help in another person, maybe we should just keep our mouth shut, <laughs> right? I think that it's a good I think it's a good idea to, and I'm preaching to myself here, so thanks for listening in. <laughs> But I think it's a good idea to really evaluate what you're saying and why you're saying it, who you're saying it to, and what your end goal is. Because if it's just self-justification, then what different are we than, than anybody else? You know, you know, just like you know, the Bible tells us if we if we love those that love us, what you know, big deal. That's pretty simple. That's that's how the world works. But no, love your enemies. Amen. Love the jerks. <laughs> love the ones that that want to cause harm to you. That's not easy. That's not easy. All right. Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I'm going to read uh, from Buddy's favorite version, the message. Uh, it says, uh, I just like the way it words it here. It says, are you tired? <laughs> yes. Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who doesn't want to do that? How many of you feel like that all the time? <laughs> you don't feel like that all the time. Now, the term here, um, when he talks about in, in the, um, in the NIV or another version, talks about yoke being his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's probably a more familiar version than the message version. The term yoke there, uh, I know, can sometimes be taken as a, as a teaching, but it, it literally in the Greek means a yoke like you would tie two ox, oxen together. Is it ox or oxen? Two, two oxen, all right. Oxi. <laughs> I think we'll say oxen. So two... Two oxen together, tied, tied together with this yoke, right? That's what the yoke is. It holds the two together. Now, it's, it's a bit, you guys know that I love rap music and I love double entendres, but it's a little bit of a double entendre there, too, because they also use this word as 
um, the, the weight that, they, that the, the, some of the rabbis would put on people of the old Mosaic law, so that it would be like the, the yoke of the law on people. So it literally does mean yoke, like two oxen tied together, but they would also use it as uh, putting a yoke on people, putting the law on people, because it was more than they could bear. It was too heavy for them. And so he's not saying he's going to get rid of this yoke. He's saying you need to trade it out, right? doesn't mean that there's not work to do. <laughs> That's kind of a cuss word in some grace circles. But it doesn't mean that there's not work to do. There's work to be done. You still, we are still, there are still things we still need to do. Um, but what he does is he says, I'm going to replace that yoke of the law, the old covenant and, and the Mosaic law. I'm going to replace that with myself, <laughs> essentially. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be on the other end of this yoke. There's going to be two Two people here, I'm going to be on one end, you're going to be on the other. Now, what they did back then, when you had uh, a weaker or a younger ox, they would place it with an older, more mature, stronger ox. And what would happen is the younger ox wouldn't run and take off because he couldn't. He's tied to the big one. He know, the big one knows what to do. And if when he, where he couldn't carry as much, the bigger one would carry that weight, right? And so the yoke tied together here and the analogy he's using to, to try to help us understand is, when you're with me, I'm going to take all the heavy stuff. I'll take care of all the hard stuff. There's still work to be done. We're going to co-labor. We're going to work together, and we're going to do it. But don't stress out about it. You can be, your heart can be light. You're, it's not a burden I'm going to place on you and, and walk away, because that's what was happening before. You do this, you do this, you do that, you do this. No, Jesus says, no, we, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to do this. Watch me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. He's saying, look, we're going to do this together. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So as we go, there's a, there's a, there's a beat. There's, a, there's something that's going on. There's this dance that we're doing with, with Jesus ultimately in this life that, that, that has rhythm, and we go to his pace because he's the stronger one, right? This is where I think we, we get off a lot of times in, in church circles is that we, we create this idea of a religion or our own belief system, and we want to tie Jesus to it. Jesus doesn't play well that, like that. God, God don't play well <laughs> when you try to add him to your life. He is life. I mean, he is the strength. He is the power. He's the greater of the two ox eye. <laughs> Doug. <There you> go. <laughs> he's, he's the strong one. He's the one that makes it to where we can, we can, we can, we can actually breathe and enjoy this life, Right? He makes it to where we can do that right now, not when you die one day and go past that ceiling tile wherever we think heaven is. But right now, we get to experience that now. We get to taste heaven on earth because we are tied to Jesus. We are the, the weaker of the two vessels, and we get to go along with whatever he does. And that is fun. It's mostly fun and slightly terrifying. <laughs> but it's mostly fun. Now, if we do look at the, the, the other term uh, that they use about as, as far as putting a yoke on people in the, uh, in the law, <clears throat> it was something that, that people had been carrying for a long time, and it was hard, and they were tired and worn out. That's why he says, listen, I, I get it. This is hard. And many of you have experienced this in, in more of a religious setting or uh, a uh, more legalistic setting where you were, you were running this this. I almost feel like it's a hamster's wheel. It just never goes anywhere. You're trying to do all these things, and you feel all this burden on you because you can't, you can't do it, um, and you feel like it's all on you. 
And I believe this is exactly what he's saying to us when we feel these same ways is that, look, that's not the yoke that I've given you to take. I've given you this yoke, and, and I've taken all this on myself. So I, one of my favorite quotes uh, is from Mike Tyson, of all people. And it says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> I love that quote. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think about that when we think, when, when Jesus is telling people, don't worry about it, it's okay, everything's going to be all right. And kind of me and Tracy, Tracy's like, what are we going to do? We're not going to have a house. I'm like, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I got, you know, I know God, I've, I've never seen God forsake us. Ever. Uh, even at our worst. Never, never, never. So I don't, I really genuinely don't, and I know it frustrates people that do, <laughs> and there's different personality types, I get it. Um, and I'm not ignorant that we've got to have a place to live, and, and you know, I, I get all that. But at the same time, I know without a shadow of a doubt that we'll be all right. I know that there's work to be done, but I know who's got the other end of that yoke. So everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So, yeah, this all sounds great, Pastor Justin. Light, easy, but I don't feel like that all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I feel real heavy, and I do too. If you can't tell, I feel that way right now. I feel heavy. I feel like there's a lot of, of heaviness on me. And the beautiful thing about not just studying the Bible and understanding what God is saying to us, but listen, even going back to the change thing, you're not going to change just because I convince you of a truth that it is that, that, that I convince you of whatever I'm saying is true, right? Now, I could do that, um, and I could be, try to be very persuasive or someone else more persuasive than me could do that. And that could lead you in many different directions. I could lead you into a cult or I could lead you into something good or whatever. But what changes people is that the, the actual spirit of God that reaches out to you and touches you personally. That's what changes people. Now, it's good to understand what that means. That's why the scriptures explain this to us and walk us through it so that we know what's actually happening in and through us. But it's the personal relationship that Jesus has with each one of you that changes people. When we think about, well, I, you know, I may never be able to, I don't think I can ever change this characteristic or this behavior. Listen, don't put too much emphasis on your personality. People change all the time. They, I mean, they do. We, we change constantly. We're constantly adapting and changing to what's going on around us. We're changing. We're seeing. We're, we're growing up. We're learning, right? Don't, don't think that things can't change, but I'm telling you, it's the, it's the understanding, the awakening of the Holy Spirit in you that is going to change you, not just trying really hard or faking it till you make it kind of thing. And don't, that don't work. That works temporarily. That's, that's really what the word hypocrite in the Scripture means is putting a mask on. Don't do that. Don't try, to, don't, don't try to cause the behavior to make you transform on the inside. No, it's the other way around. You transform, and then your behavior follows that. It's the root and then the fruit, Amen. right? So what do we do when life throws a curveball? We get punched in the mouth. We go back to the Scripture, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. So let's look at how Jesus did it. Now, what, what we try to do is we try to quantify this. Most of us do. Well, how did Jesus do it? Is there a formula? Do we need to copy this formula? What's the key? Say the right words. What is it? But what I love about Jesus is there's so many different things he did. There were nine instances in the New Testament that Jesus initiated the conversations when he interacted with people. There were 25 instances where Jesus responded to other people that were either accusing him or asking questions or just curious. So those are kind of completely different. Uh, I want to look at where Jesus interacted with people. 
The majority of Jesus' interactions with people were either in the workplace, the street, or in a home. Um, one of the things we've got to get out of our Western mindset is that this is church. No, you are the church. I know we say that. We kind of say it flippantly. But no, you, you guys are the church. This building is where we meet to, to, to regroup and to talk about what's going on. But you guys are the church. We look at Jesus' ministry. He's not always. He is, he's, sometimes he's in synagogue. Sometimes he's in houses. Sometimes he's different places. Listen, you guys are called to wherever you are. You, you, you grow where you're planted. If it's in your workplace and you, you see opposition there, it's ministry opportunity. Some of the things that we pray to get out of are the very things that God placed us in so that we can help those that are around us. So I can't take all this because these people are this way or these people this way. Really? Who's showing them Christ? What if you leave? Then who they got? <laughs> right? The church is not, and Jesus is very clear. We say, okay, well, things aren't going well, so I, need to, I, I just need to go to church and get all this stuff straight. Well, yeah, it's good to come to church. It's good to, to kind of decompress and to worship and to fall apart and to get refilled and to get encouraged. Those are all good things. But I'm telling you, all those things can happen outside those doors just as well. And I'm telling you, uh, sometimes more radically and more rapidly than you think. Um, a few instances, Jesus was uh, speaking to people in the workplace. He was talking to James and John in Matthew 4.21. If you want to look these up, you can. I just kind of jotted them down. Uh, with the Samaritan woman in John 4.7, the layman in John 5.1. Those are all workplace and home. He was at Peter's house with his mother-in-law in Mark 1.29. With Zacchaeus in Luke 19.1. So there's lots of different, I can, I've got a long list, but you don't really need, all you need to know is, it didn't matter where Jesus was, Jesus was Jesus. He was just doing his thing. That's what we're supposed to do. When we say, okay, well, things don't look the way that I want them to look, the way the world's going, the way society's going, the way that my family's going, the way that my friends are going, whatever it is, things aren't going the way that I th think that they should go. Unfortunately, we get mixed up in thinking, well, that's like God's got to fix all this, when really that's more of, I would say, more of our strong will and our control. I think all of us have a desire to control situations in one way or another because we feel safe, right? I think that we, it was one of the, the hardest things for me when I, when I came, when I, I say I came to the Lord, when the Lord ran me down. Uh, when the Lord ran me down was the last thing I wanted to give up was the first thing he asked for, and that was control in my life. My life growing up because of my family background and not knowing where I was going to be, you know, from... One day to another, I'd end up with my grandparents or we'd be moving or, you know, all these different things. I had a very unstable childhood growing up, so I always felt like I needed to be in control. It's one of the reasons I never even drank before I got saved. I, was, I only got drunk like two or three times, and it was all in a safe environment at my house because I always wanted to be in control. It was one of those things that I didn't, I didn't want to let go of, but it was the first thing God asked for was control in my life and said, I, I, I need this so that you can be free. And that was tough because I didn't trust anybody. And uh, it did, that didn't make sense to me, especially not knowing anything about how good God was. Um, but the thing when we get frustrated when things don't go our way, I think is more of a control thing because we feel safe if we can control, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, you do, when, you know, with my kids, like when we, were in Lake, when we were in Lake Charles and my kids are at home, I'm thinking, where are they? Are they okay? I know we... You know, we've got family that's around and friends that they're, they're looking out for them and you guys are taking care of them and everything, but it's a little bit of an out-of-control thing. You know, Trinity's driving now, and it's like, ah, you know, Life 360, I'm like, eh, she's slowing down at intersections like I told her. <laughs> Keep your foot over the brake just in case people run red lights. So all these things, these, these control things that we've got to let go of in our lives, 
really genuinely start to free you up. It doesn't mean that we're not working, going back to what we were originally talking about. It doesn't mean that we just stop and we give up and say, okay, well, God's going to take care of everything. No. There's work to be done. There are things that we need to be doing, but we're co-laboring with Christ, and he's taking the hard part for us. This beautiful thing about grace is not a, an excuse to be apathetic or not do what we're supposed to do, but it should be the wind in our backs that pushes us forward and says, go, I've taken care of the hard stuff. Just go love. Just go care for people. Listen, you will not be close to the heart of God if you're just helping people. <laughs> Genuinely just caring for people. That's God's heart. Now that sounds simple enough and it can get complicated because relationships are messy. Listen, grace is messy. Law is neat. It just kills you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. Sorry. But relationships are messy. They take time. They hurt. They heal. They hurt some more. <clears throat> they heal. But they take time. But they're worth it. Most of the time when people would try to argue with Jesus, he wouldn't meet them with opposition, but ask them a question or tell them a parable to understand, to help them understand. That's what I love about Jesus. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> you know, they're like, ah, crucify him. Let me tell you a parable about this landowner. I love Jesus. He's funny. Um, but he didn't. He didn't. It's, it's pretty cool to see that because when opposition would come at him, he didn't shoot back at him. He would say, let me tell you a story. Or he'd say, let me help you understand this. I'm going to give you one example of that. In Luke 7, 36, if you want to turn there. And I, I did this one in the message too. You're welcome. Luke 7, 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of a Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet, laying down her hair, drying his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with perfume. When the, Pharisees, or when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon said, tell me. Two men were in debt. <laughs> Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up. And so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, Jesus said. Then turning to the woman, I love this, turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? Man. Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. He provided nothing for freshening up, but she soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them 
and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A lot's just happened right there. A lot. I love that Jesus, do you see this woman? Do you see that this is a person? Listen, they didn't, they didn't, they should have had someone washing his feet and doing all those things when they came in. The reason they didn't was because they still weren't sure about Jesus. They weren't sure that he was okay. A guest that they would have done that for would have been one that they trusted and they, that they were welcoming in. So they, they invited him to talk to him, but really they weren't really sure about him. So they should have done that if they were really wanted to be close to him and be a part of him, but they weren't quite there yet. So that's a, a good key to remember. She was all in. <laughs> she was no reservations. She was all in. So several things happened. Let's go through some of the things that happened. Jesus accepts a dinner invitation from a Pharisee. So you know that he's not crazy about Pharisees and the way they're teaching, but he cares enough to sit down and talk to them when they invite him, right? We know that from Nicodemus. We call him Nick and Knight because he met him in an alley at the nighttime so he could talk to him about being born again, being confused about that. And several other instances where Jesus met with the Pharisees, and this is just one of them. So Jesus accepts a dinner invitation from a Pharisee. Um, the very people who were so critical of him uh, for his associations with the wrong crowd. How convenient. Uh, Jesus could just as easily be in the company of a Pharisee as with a despised outcast. We safely assume from the social uh, customs of the day that only men were at the table. It could not have been much more repulsive than this for the Pharisee. This was a woman of questionable character who has unashamedly barged into a group of men at dinner. Her hair was down, which indicated that she was a prostitute. Not only, not only that, she is caressing and kissing the feet of Jesus. Jesus was, was expected to reprimand her for just being there. Instead, Jesus treats a woman with the same dignity as a man. Simon was upset that this sinful woman was touching Jesus' feet without receiving a reprimand. How could a holy prophet allow such a filthy woman to touch him? Instead of putting her in her place, Jesus even commended her for her public demonstration of love and offered her forgiveness, salvation, and peace. Jesus placed relationships between people above ceremonial laws governing what and who was unclean. So Jesus does several things here. <laughs> he not only allows the woman to come in, but is thankful for what she's doing and says that her sins are forgiven. That's a big deal, and they were not at all happy about that. He was claiming that he could forgive sins, and something he'd done several other times is what ended up getting him killed. He was claiming, he truthfully claiming that he was the son of God and he could do these things. And he said it right in their face. Not only that, he was reaching a woman and, and changing her life, but he was teaching the Pharisee at the same time. <laughs> he was doing both. He was demonstrating to the Pharisees what the, the, the heart of the Father is and also demonstrating to the woman what the heart of the Father is and his peace and forgiveness. What the Pharisees had missed in all of their law and trying to figure out how to do this thing was the very heart of what the Father was, and that was to care for those, to love, to love your neighbor. And as we know of our, the story of the Good Samaritan, you don't get to choose who your neighbor is. You're the good neighbor. <laughs> so here we see Jesus doing something he does really often is he reaches someone hurting, someone desperate, someone that needs him, and he teaches the self-righteous of what the heart of the Father looks like. Listen, when I can't imagine a time where I know we think that, that 
you know, sometimes we feel like we're persecuted as Christians. And, you know, I believe that there's probably some people that hate us. And, you know, whether legitimate or not from their experience or whatever it is, I think that we still, for the most part, live in a, a pretty good country that gives us a lot of freedom uh, to be able to exercise the rights that we do have. And I think even if things got worse and we were persecuted more, the church will just flourish that much more. That's just what we do. So it's like Bill always says, it's, it's, it's win-win. <laughs> I want to say it. Zero-sum game. That's not what that means. That's not what that means, Justin. I know. I know. I just like saying it now. It's a thing. I have the microphone. So it's like oxide. I like oxide. Really? That's okay, but I can't say zero-sum game? No, like, 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 I've known Bill longer than you. I'm pretty sure I have. Fight me outside. Buddy, you referee. (laughs) Where did we, how did we get here? All right, um. Like Paul says, to, to, li- to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? Amen. So in the same way, if we're free, practice our freedom, love those that are around us. If we're persecuted, practice your freedom in Christ, love those that are around us. Amen. I mean, it's not that you don't need to be shaped by the culture that's around you. You need to be the one shaping the culture that's around you. Amen. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Listen, you, you carry with you the same, I say this all the time, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you just get to raise when you die, although you do but it means that you're alive right now. <laughs> Spoiler alert, you're alive. You have life right now. There are things to do. There are works that we have to, who oh, works? Not works so that we can gain the approval of our Father. We have that already. That's the hard part of the ox, oxi, the yoke. That's the hard part of the yoke. He's taking care of that. Now, the easy part is for us to do the other work, which is to reach our neighbor, is to love those that are around us, following the example of the, <laughs> the oxi. That's, you're killing me with this. Following the example of Christ that is with us. We'll, we'll skip the ox analogy. Christ is with you right here. Right here. All right? <laughs> Y'all are going to be messing with me about this ox eye thing. Just a little bit. So just remember that as you go, everywhere you go, and in every interaction you have, whether it's with friends, family, strangers, whoever it is, um, I'll just, I'll tell that story later. I ran into a guy in, in Baton Rouge in a parking lot. I'll tell you that story later. Anyway, any, 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 uh, any time that you, you come in contact with people, I, I love how it says in, in the scripture there when he says, look at this woman. And, that, and that's even you know, the message translation. He may not have said in those exact words, but I believe that God's heart was to see that there was a person there. That especially in that culture, women were treated badly. I mean, let's just be, be real. Women were not treated very well. Um, and so I think, that, I think that Jesus, I really believe Jesus really was the greatest uh, women liberator there ever was. I mean, he cared deeply for women. There were even women that supported his ministry, and that was completely unheard of. Uh, anyway, I'm just saying, treat people like people, not like enemies or opposition or, or, or trouble or, or, I'll say enemies again, enemies. They're not. They're not your enemies. Your enemies are sin, death, and hell, and they were nailed to the cross. That's the big part of the oxi. The rest is, the little part is, you get to take, take that and give it to everybody else. You get to give them that same yoke, the, the light yoke, the easy yoke.
All right. Yay, I made it through without puking. Woo. Me and buddy, me and buddy had a signal. He said, <laughs> he said, if you feel like you're gonna throw up, give me a signal. I'm not gonna tell you what the signal is, but I had a signal, and I did not do it. All right, stand up with me. I'm gonna pray for you guys, and I'm gonna take a nap. <laughs> uh, Father, I thank you that that you were good, Lord, that you were. Uh, that you were a good daddy and that we are your children, that you care deeply for us, that you see us um, as your kids (laughs) and you've taken the time to get to know us. Lord, I pray that we would take the time to receive uh, your heart for us and from that place that you would show us how to share that with other people because we can't truly share it unless we know that we have it. It's like having $100,000 in your pocket. If you don't have it, you can't give it away. So, Lord, I pray that we recognize that we are sons and daughters, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Lord, that we find that identity and we know that that's our true identity. And from that place, everything else flows. So, Lord, from that identity and knowing who we are in you and who you are in us, Lord, help us to share that with others. Help us to see others not as our enemies, but as sons and daughters, your sons and daughters. Help us to bring that life out in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have a great day.